Here is a uh, personal story uh, that I've written. Uh, it's recorded in Revelation on Fire, Volume 1. One hot summer day, I was sitting on the porch. This serene time, relaxing, suddenly turned into a period of excruciating pain. I felt a stinging effect over several parts of my body and didn't have a clue why. Unbeknownst to me, my brother, Joe, had sneaked up to an azalea bush that housed a wasp nest, kicked it, and quickly scampered away. The next thing I knew, I had speedily run over into the street while swatting wasps and spewing words that a 12-year-old shouldn't say. My shrewd, beloved brother informed me that he wouldn't tell my parents about my sordid word choice if I didn't implicate him in the stinging attack of the angry wasp. Thankfully, a few years after this uh, memorable event, God saved our souls. Uh, I have now enjoyed pastoring my brother for nearly uh, 30 years, and both of us appreciate being in the Lord together. Uh, although I didn't originally know where my attackers had come from, those individuals on planet Earth, the inhabitants of the Earth, as described in the book of Revelation, and if you would turn with me, please, to chapter 9, know exactly where their attackers come from. The heavens have been opened, and these individuals understand this is the wrath of the Father and the Son. Now, as you're turning to Revelation chapter 9, uh, let me pose this question to you. An important question, I believe. How can the child of God protect himself from Satan and demons? Revelation chapter 9, let me read to you, beginning in verse 1. Revelation 9, beginning in verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given a key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, so the sun and air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion and when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails with scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. 
one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. That'll get your attention, will it not? Uh, Join me in prayer. Father, I thank you that the true child of God will not endure this period of time. Thank you that we have the promise that you will keep us from the hour of trial, the tribulation that will come upon the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the earth. But Father, as we think about what the unsaved will endure, break our hearts. Help us to understand the need to reach the lost and to train them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, would you just speak to us now and teach us through this lesson, this this so important lesson, the importance of walking with you so that Satan doesn't have unnecessary access to us. Bless our study and each one today. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. As you're coming down, you'll notice in verse 1 in our text, then the fifth angel sounded. By the way, this is the first woe of Revelation 8.13. Let me bring this all together for you. Go back to chapter 8 and verse 13. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of the heavens, saying with a loud voice, notice here, three woes, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Speaking here of the fifth sixth and seventh trumpet judgments we are now looking at the first well which is the fifth trumpet judgment continuing in verse one and i saw a star fallen from heaven to earth Uh, observe the word here fallen Uh, the king james translates the verb fall uh, in the sense of it could actually be taken place right now the nasby had fallen this verb is a perfect tense verb a completed action in the past see it happened in the past with the results continuing Uh, dr ryrie aptly describes the perfect tense he is described as having fallen to the earth in other words john did not see the star actually fall it was already fallen This star that has already fallen and remains is identified as an angel in Revelation 9 in verse 11. The fact that he is a king over those in the bottomless pit reveals that he is a demon. Notice as well, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. That word bottomless, abusas, from uh, the Greek occurs nine times and it has the idea in Luke 8:31 describing the abyss as the holding cell for demons from that same region in Revelation 17 verse 8 arises the antichrist and then in Revelation 20 and verse 1 Then also down in verse 3, it will be where Satan is housed for a thousand years. Yes, during the millennial kingdom. Verse 2 informs us, and he opened the bottomless pit. The key gave him the authority to do exactly what he has done 
hear. What's the result? And smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. I want to draw your attention to the word smoke. There are 13 New Testament uses. Uh, when it's used in Revelation, sometimes it's in the context of holiness. Uh, for instance, that's how it's used in chapter 8 and verse 4, and then in 15, verse 8. But mostly, it is referring to unholiness. Revelation 9, 9.3, 9.17, 9.18, uh, chapter 14, verse 11, 18, 9. Uh, verse 18, and then chapter 19, verse 3. This smoke in our context has unholy connotations to it. Now, there's something that you should observe from Revelation chapter 9 that is important to interpret this text accurately. The adverb hosts, translated like and as is used 10 times. Think about that, 10 times. Like or as, Revelation 9. Then also the adjective hamoyas, uh, translated also like and as, occurs four times. So we have 14 times in this chapter where like or as is given. The idea is that John is really struggling. There are things that he is seeing that he's never seen before. So he's trying to come up with comparisons to describe what is being unveiled to him. Our text continues. And the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Back in chapter 8 and verse 12, the luminaries, that would be the sun, the moon, and the stars were affected with the fourth trumpet judgment. Now the sky is murky because of the smoke. Down in verse 3, then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth. Uh, these locusts come from the pit and are therefore likely demons. And to them was given power. Observe was given. Uh, we've talked about that verb, ditto me, the importance of it kind of hidden there in the book of Revelation. You don't tend to uh, draw attention to it, but it's important because God is still the power broker. God is still in control. God is limiting everything that is going on, but he is the one that is permitting this activity. So, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. These demon locusts, and that's how I'll describe them, have some association with scorpions. The Illustrated Columbian Encyclopedia writes this about scorpions. Nocturnal arachnid common in southwest United States. It seizes its prey, whether spiders or insects, with large pincers, kills it with poison injected by a curved spine at the tip of the tail, and then sucks it dry. Adult scorpions range from one half to eight inches long. Scorpions are cannibalistic, 
but immune to their own poison. The sting is painful to adult humans and may be fatal to children. With that being stated, come down to verse 4. These demon locusts were commanded not to harm the grass or the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. These are not normal locusts because they don't affect the earth like locusts traditionally do. Also, in Revelation chapter 9, our same chapter, in verse 11, they have a king over them. Why is that significant? Because in Proverbs chapter 30, in verse 27, there it says, the locusts have no king, yet they advance in rank. So this is not a normal locust, if you will. I believe these are demons. And we also see from our text that those that are sealed, the 144,000 will be protected, but not the men, not the inhabitants of the earth who have rejected God. Now, as you're coming down to verse 5, I want to, again, come back to our word give. Because in verse 1, the angel is given the key to the bottomless pit. So he has authority. Then in 9-2, speaking of the locusts, to them was given power. But now observe in verse 5 that their power is limited. And they were not, notice the word not, not given authority to kill them. Them refers to the men. Their authority is limited by God, and, uh, but they can torment men for how long? Five months. Five months. Interestingly, the normal time of pillaging for locusts is from May through September. So these demon locusts are not permitted to kill men, but torment them for five months. Interesting time frame. And then we continue. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Torment here is from the verb bosonizo. And it's translated pain. In Revelation 12 too. And in the context of Revelation 12. The pain is from childbirth. So here's your analogy. Imagine labor pains. For five months. Five months. How bad is it? In those days. This is verse 6. Men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die. And death will fuego. It will flee from them. They would rather die. Than repent. And they have no sign of turning to God. From our text here. But they will be severely tormented. During this period of time. Now as we transition down to verse 7. In verses 7 through 12. We have a description. Of these locusts. Verse 7. And the shape of the locust. Was like. Horses prepared. For battle. Again. Observing the word like. We'll see like. And as often in our text here. John had never seen anything like this 
before, but they're prepared like horses for the battle. And then when you couple this with chapter 9, down in verse 9, which says, and they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. The symbolism here shows that they are impervious to attack. In other words, what they are doing will not be thwarted. They will have the authority to carry out their mission and no one is going to stop them. How do we know that? And on their heads were crowns of something like gold. Not the Greek term where we get the English diadem, but this is the Stephanos. This is the victor's crown. In essence, these demon locusts have a mission and for five months, they will carry out their mission. They will be victorious in the sense of doing what they are assigned to do. The description continues here. And may I say it's a grotesque description. And their faces were like the faces of men. Now just for a moment, I want to take you to the book of Joel. Book of Joel and go to chapter 2 with me. In Joel chapter 2, we have a description of Armageddon. That future battle, we'll study it in, in Revelation chapter 19. But what's so intriguing is that in Joel chapter 2, Armageddon, see the invasion of the nations to the Holy Land, is described here in locust-like language. In the same way that the locusts cover a landscape, that's what the landscape will be like with men during the battle of Armageddon. So take a look with me here. Joel chapter 2, coming down to verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Here speaking of the tribulation. For it is at hand, it's described now, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains, a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations, verse 3, a fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them and behind them a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like swift steeds so they run. With a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap. Like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array. Now as you're still in Joel chapter 2, come down to verse 20 for just a second. Showing the difference between a locust invasion and a people invasion. Here, Armageddon, verse 20. But I will remove far from you the northern army. Interestingly, the adversaries come from the north, whereas locusts traditionally come from the south or southeast. So what we have in Joel 2 is a description of Armageddon, but again in locust-like language. Come back with me, please. Revelation chapter 9. So not only do these demon locusts have faces of men, they also in verse 8 had hair like women's 
hair. Uh, I remember back in my seminary days, going back uh, several decades now, I was uh, looking at my notes in the book of Revelation and my professor, a single male, uh, I believe at that time in his 40s, had written under this description that they had hair like women's hair, quote, that is as fierce as marriage. <laughs> I have to track down that fellow and see if he's still single. Okay. Uh, I just thought that was a... Uh, uh, an apt quote uh, just to give it this time. Okay, they had hair like women's hair. I think the idea is a distorted image. Uh, you and I have the privilege to be made in the image of God. We learn that from Genesis 1.26. We're still made in the image of God. Uh, James chapter 3 and verse 9, although it's a marred image today. What we have described here, what comes out of the pit is grotesque. Uh, it's perverse in nature. Things are twisted. You can tell that what Satan is and what he controls is corrupt. The description continues. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. They don't tear people apart with their teeth. But yet they are an intimidating sight. And then down in verse 9. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The word breastplate occurs five times in the New Testament. And it's used in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 in the context of the armor of God. This is the description of warfare. And an army that is well suited, that is equipped. And the description shows us that no one can stop what they will be doing. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. Even a sound is scary. Uh, we won't turn there, but in Jeremiah 47 and verse 3 and in 2 Kings chapter 7 verse 6, there it is speaking of a judgment on Philistia. And the attack is so bad that the fathers are petrified and don't even turn around to grab their children, but just run away. Same kind of descriptive language used here. Not only what you see with the demon locust, but what you hear will be petrifying. And think about this. For five months, it will continue. And then down in verse 10, they had tails like scorpions and there were stings in their tails how petrifying is that and their power was to hurt men five months the word for stings here means to prick or to sting it was um used of the prick or a sting for an animal for oxen to keep them moving, right? A little little prodding there. It, it's also uh, used throughout the scripture of uh, animals that could have, or insects, I should say, rather, that have a stinging ability. But the point is, in verse 10, it's painful when inflicted. Now down in verse 11, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. The angel of the bottomless pit A.T. Robertson writes, their king 
is the angel of the abyss whose orders they obey. Now we have a title, a name, two actually given, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon, which means to destroy. Now, this was interesting to me because men that I really respect as far as um, interpreters of Scripture, Warren Wiersbe, Charles Ryrie, uh, John Walvoord, identified this angel as Satan. But, and let me give you four reasons why I don't think that's what our text is teaching. Number one, the context doesn't call him such. This angel has a different name, identified in both Hebrew and Greek. Number two, Satan's domain is not the abyss, but in heavenly places in the earth, right? Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Where? You know, in, 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 the, in the realm of the air. Ephesians chapter 2, that you and I walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So Satan's domain is not the abyss, but in heavenly places and earth. Number three, Satan's only connection with the abyss is when he is cast into it later on in Revelation chapter 20. And then also Satan will be dealt with later as soon as chapter 12. So why an obscure reference to him here? Uh, I think this is simply a demon who has control over the pit. And now down to our final verse for today, verse 12. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So this is the fifth trumpet judgment. The sixth and seven are coming also, which gives us the fifth, sixth, and, uh, or the first, second, and third woes, if you will. So kind of putting this all together, let me share a main point with you today. It's this. Rejecting Jesus leads to severe satanic affliction. Let me say that one more time. Rejecting Jesus leads to severe satanic affliction. Uh, turn with me to James chapter 4, please. James chapter 4. Think about what's happening in Revelation 9. The inhabitants of the earth basically say this world is our home. They shake their fists to the heavens. They understand that the wrath is coming from the Father and the Son and yet will not repent of their sin. So when there is a clear rejection of the person of Jesus Christ, Satan only has more access to that individual's life. James chapter 4, are you there with me now? What's intriguing as we look at verses 7 through 10. This is James chapter 4, 7 through 10. You have a series of commands that are given worthy of contemplation. Verse 7 to begin here. Therefore, submit. Submit to whom? Submit to God. 
The word submit means to arrange yourself under God. Get under his authority. Make sure you have believed on Christ's finished work, the one who died for your sin, conquered death, and then willingly submit to him. We need to present our bodies a living sacrifice to him. When we think about all that Jesus Christ has done for us. That's Romans 12 too. It's our reasonable service. To bow down before him. And serve him. Length of days. But we need. And here's the command. Submit to God. Notice number two. Second command. Resist. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Even though you submit to God. It doesn't mean Satan's not going to come after you. We will see as well throughout the body of Scripture, that the demons are active and like to harass believers. But when we submit to God, and when then we feel what I call that, that chronic halitosis of Satan, that bad breath of Satan breathing down our necks, we also need to resist the devil. And what's the result of submitting to God and resisting the devil? And he will flee from you. How different is this in James 4, 7 verses in Revelation 9? God has already struck the earth. Seven seal judgments. And now as we're rolling through the trumpet judgments, you would think the inhabitants of the earth would go, whoa. He's a powerful God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But now they shake their fist to the heavens, which only gives Satan and his demons that much more opportunity to infiltrate their lives. And by the way, I believe firmly that as you move through the tribulation period, demonic activity gets worse. So we have two commands so far. And when we submit to God, we resist the devil, he flees from us. That's what our mission should be, child of God. Then down in verse 8, third command, draw near. Command, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It works this way. Here in his love, not that we love God first, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, to satisfy the wrath of God for our sins. He pursued us. Now it's our turn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. See, the individual who says, okay, God is coming after me. He has sent his son in order to have a relationship with me. He pursued me first. Now it's my turn to seek him that's right ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and a door will be open not don't forget to seek Matthew 6 seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so we need to draw near to God and see the reward he will draw near to you fourth command cleanse your hands cleanse them you have any unconfessed sin? Confess it. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And here's the fifth command, and purify your hearts. Why is that important? Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. See, and he calls the people here double-minded. The sixth command, and we don't hear about this very often, but yet I think should be an intricate part of the Christian life. Lament, lament, be broken over your own sin and then the sin of the world. And mourn, yes. We also have that concept in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see how this works? That when you draw near to God and you understand his holiness, it breaks you. It reveals to you your own ugliness. We call that sin. And then we are to mourn. And then also here the eighth command is weep. Let your laughter be turned, be turned, ninth command to mourning, and your joy to gloom. And then coming down to verse 10, and by the way, I'd encourage you greatly to memorize James 4, 7 through 10. Great commands here. Tremendous benefits for the child of God who will obey these 10 commands. The 10th one now, verse 10, humble. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. That's what we are to do, child of God. See, rejecting Jesus leads to severe satanic affliction. When we are disobedient to God, we are individuals that will be subjected to the torment of Satan. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a believer, a man, in the church of Corinth who was involved in the gross sin of incest. The church did not deal with that man. So what did Paul do in order to teach him a lesson to cause him to repent? Put him outside the church. To the realm of Satan. But you see the idea. When you leave from under God's authority. Whose territory. Are you then in. The whole world. Lies under the sway of the wicked one. We're told in 1 John 5. In Luke chapter 4. Satan offers Jesus. The kingdoms of the world. In all their glory. And says I'll give these to you. If you will fall down and worship me. Satan has been given authority. It's a limited authority and for a limited time. But make no mistake that when we don't humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we are opening ourselves up to the influence of Satan and his demons. So my exhortation to you, based upon what we've seen both in Revelation 9... And now, in James chapter 4, is to submit to God, resist the devil, let him flee from you. Draw near to him, cleanse your hands, and then finally, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and what's going to be the end result? He will lift you up. That's the prayer. My friend, I know one thing. You do not want Satan you do not want his demons to have any more access to you than necessary. Our God is in ultimate control. I take you to the book of Job. In the book of Job, before Satan could touch Job, 
He had to secure God's permission. Okay. Job was a righteous man. He shunned evil. He turned away from it. But God permitted Satan limited access to Job's life. Why would you ever want to give Satan any access whatsoever? We're commanded in Ephesians 4 to be angry. And do not sin. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And then it says, nor give place, tapas, topography. Don't give ground to Satan. So let's take our scripture serious. Let's draw near to God. Let's humble ourselves under his mighty hand that we can receive his protection. May we submit to him, resist the wicked one, let him flee that we might accomplish the work of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I appreciate the details in Revelation 4. Yes, Lord, they're horrific describing the demon locust. And yes, Lord, it will be tragic what will take place on planet Earth during this period of the tribulation. But I thank you that you have made the way of escape for us by believing in your son that we need not experience the tribulation wrath nor the eternal damnation of God. Thank you that there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ. And yet, Lord, for those of us who are in the game, we're walking with you, we're seeking you, we're, we're striving to know you. Oh, how I pray, Father, that we would not give Satan any more acts to our lives than necessary. May we submit to you, may we resist him, may we stay close to you for your protection, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.